They call them mama bears or tiger moms, these mothers who fight for the, their children. Now, to be clear, they also fight their own children, but we are not talking about that family dynamic right now. We are talking about the fierce and powerful women who will go to the mat for their kids, who will advocate, who will defend, and who will even lift the car if their child is pinned underneath. I want you to meet Angela Cavallo. Cavallo, any, any relatives of, where is, where is, where are the Cavallos? Oh, what? Angela Cavallo was in her late 50s at the time of this event. Her teenage son, Tony, was working under his 1964 Chevy Impala when the bumper jack slipped out and the car fell on him, knocking him out. Angela lifted the car a few inches and then held it, and she could not get her son to respond even though she was kicking him, saying, get out, get out. I love that part of the story. She continued holding up the car for several minutes until Johnny, also pictured in this newspaper article, 11 years old, ran down the street to get two neighbors who rushed over, put the jack back in place, and pulled Tony out from under. Mrs. Cavallo credits prayer. She said she was praying the whole time. She credits prayer for her strength and for the fact that her son was totally uninjured. Now that's a super mom, a praying super mom. And she, along with all the tiger moms and mama bears, have a role model in scripture. And today we're going to talk about a super mom who would not quit for the sake of her child. We're in a sermon series entitled Through the Jesus through the eyes of, in which we are looking at personal encounters people had with Jesus during his ministry on earth. Sometimes our idea of, Je of Jesus gets ossified, solidified into a being that floated rather than walked, that pronounced instantorian tones, all the red letters of the Bible. But Jesus laughed, he cried, he passed gas. Can I say that from the pulpit? Because he did. He cracked jokes, he walked. We do not know what Jesus looked like, but we do know that he was very physically fit because he walked hundreds of miles during his uh, three years of ministry. Um, he got tired. When, when he started doing miracles, word spread very fast that he was special. But in this series, we are trying to get to the human Jesus and how he might have struck people meeting him for the first time who did not know his divine origin. And today we come to the encounter he had with Supermom. And we're in Matthew chapter 15, verse 21. Jesus left that place and went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Now, Tyre and Sidon are both on the Mediterranean coast. Currently, Tyre is about 12 miles north of Israel's border with Lebanon. So it's in Lebanon, and then Sidon is about 20 miles further north. And in Jesus' time, this was also Gentile territory. Verse 22, just then a Canaanite woman came from that region, out, came out and started shouting, have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. 
my daughter is tormented by a demon. And so this is a brief description. It's all we know about her. Uh, it establishes that the woman is Gentile, which is a word for all non-Jews. She's a mom. There's something wrong with her daughter that nobody has been able to fix thus far. And she has heard something about Jesus. And she thinks Jesus can fix her daughter. She called him Lord, Son of God. No, Son of David, Son of David. Now, this title in Matthew so far has only come out of Jewish lips. So she heard some kind of Jewish strain of talking about Jesus. And she urgently needs him to heal her daughter. She's probably tried everything else to no avail. And then somehow she can't even believe her good fortune. She hears that Jesus is actually close enough to her that she can reach him. If only she can tell him her problem, he could help her. And she gets as close as she is allowed, and then she starts shouting to Jesus, pleading for mercy. That's what we know about her so far. Now, I don't know if you enjoy people shouting at you. What does Jesus do? Verse 23. But he did not answer her at all. So I guess Jesus didn't appreciate people shouting at him. He, he remained silent. Well, she tried. She failed. Is that that? Not for this mom. She didn't go away. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, send her away. So this is the second time this woman's appeal has been brought to Jesus, this time by the disciples. And just look at those disciples, how caring they are. They're bringing her petition to Jesus. Send her away by implication. The way you send that woman away is by healing her daughter how they care for that daughter that's so touching their amount of care still in verse 23 send her away for she keeps shouting after us no they were just irritated that she kept on shouting at her volume and her persistence they just wanted her gone it wasn't out of care they brought it but nevertheless it's a second appeal for healing if jesus would just heal her daughter she would be out of their hair verse 24 he answered I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. What? Have you heard of Jesus denying a healing before this? Flip through the pages of the gospel, and Jesus, Jesus actually refused to do miracles for the Pharisees who demanded a sign, and for people who demanded a sign so that they could believe who he was. He refuses those miracles. But when there's a person who is hurt, a person who is diseased, a person whose life is so marked by their need for healing, he heals them every single time. But he's refusing this one, and he told the disciples why. I don't know if you caught it. When Jesus sent the 12 disciples in chapter 10 out to preach the gospel, he said, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel to proclaim the good news. So Jesus is just staying on message. That's what he's doing here. Verse 25, but she came, oh, she broke through the line. She went over the barrier. She came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. And Matthew here uses his favorite way of describing worship, which is kneeling at Jesus' feet. And this is the third appeal for healing. Surely third time's the charm. Surely Jesus 
will do the healing when she's right at his feet, kneeling. Verse 26, he answered, it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. No, he didn't. Did Jesus just call her a dog? Oh, the harshness. Now, when Jesus calls people in power names, he, he calls them you whitewashed tombs full of dead, rotting bones. He called them vultures. Now, I am delighted by that kind of name calling. Kind of reminds me of some politicians today. People in power, they're fair game, but come now, this is a woman, a mom. This is a troubled mom. This is a bad look, Jesus. And I have got to say, Jesus hurt my feelings here. I'm a Gentile. I'm a mom. I'm identifying with her. Dogs in that day, the word dogs, were, us were used often of religious slurs, like that dog of an infidel or that dog of a Canaanite or that dog of a Christian or that dog of a Jew. People use those words to, to talk down to people. And large dogs were scavengers in the city. They were often fierce and loud and dis diseased. So it was a really disrespectful thing to say. Now, I was going to entitle this sermon, The B Word. I don't know what B word pops into your mind. But when I read the passage and Jesus is talking about dogs and there's a female crouched at his feet, an ugly, ugly B word comes to my mind. But Jesus was not saying that word. He was not. Two things in the text save that answer from being utterly disrespectful. And well, one of them isn't in Matthew, but the Gospel of Mark notes for us that Jesus said to the woman, let the children be fed first. And you see that mitigates it a little bit, implying that there will be food for others later. Um, and the other mitigation is that this word dog can't be our English B word. It's not the regular Greek word for dog. It's taken from the diminutive doggy. This word refers to the family pet. And if you're a dog person, this is a game changer in understanding this passage, a really key to getting to its true meaning of what happened during this encounter. Now, I have been known to call my daughters by our dog's name. Look, isn't he the cutest? I don't do this in anger. It just in the spur of the moment, that is the name that comes out of my mouth. And when I do this, the girls always protest. Look, Mom, you always call me by my sister's name. That's bad enough. And actually, I do this about 50% of the time. I don't know why. I call them the wrong name all the time. That's insulting enough, but lucky, that's going too far. So the dog's name is not a lateral step in a family structure. It's a step down. But is it an unforgivable insult? Not at all. Our dogs have always been beloved members of our family, and this happens with most dog families or maybe all pet owners. The pet gets added to the family photo. They buy gift 
for their pet, they care for their pets every day, they give love to their pets, they receive a whole lot of love back from their pets. See, Jesus was really saying that for practical reasons, for the present, he had to concentrate his ministry on his fellow Jews. God's salvation is going to come through the chosen people of God. So if the Jews are neglected, the revelation of God is stopped at its source. Jesus had so little time for the vital work of winning and educating the Jews who were then going to be the missionaries to both Jews and Gentiles alike. He must spend his time and energy on his primary mission. The woman understood the family pet reference and she immediately answered in verse 27, she said, yes, Lord, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. She was smart. This is her third, her third personal appeal, but really the fourth appeal to Jesus over this healing, if we include the disciples. And notice that she is affirming that the children do eat first. She acknowledges that, but she rejects Jesus' take-your-turn-later approach by insisting that the family pets eat the leftover crumbs. Then Jesus answered her, Woman, this is great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was instantly healed. So I changed the name of the sermon to the other B word. Can you guess what the other B word is? What? Brave. Blessed. Beautiful. What? Believer. Beloved, bold, yes, so good. She is not that B word. She is beloved, befriended, bold, blessed, believing, belonging, blissful, brave. She is blessed. It was a dramatic and sudden shift from one sphere to another, from poverty to riches, from suffering to rejoicing. When Jesus finally caved in, it took a little work. It was just glorious for her. First, Jesus was silent. Then he refused. And at the end of this exchange with this woman, judging by his commendation, he appears to be overjoyed at being bested by the supermom. You know, usually, I think almost every other case, Jesus is the one in verbal skirmishes besting the other person. And he enjoyed this interaction with this woman. And he commends her for her great faith. And the child that she advocated for, that she made ways for, the child who was the reason this woman was shouting, obnoxious, the reason the mom wouldn't take no for an answer, the child was instantly healed. Now, other people around Jesus, Jesus, the disciples included, might have lost sight of the child, but the mom never did. She knew who she was fighting for. What a roller coaster ride. This 15th century painting includes the sick little girl in a nearby house. Do you see it? Oh, it's up here. You see her? Includes the little girl. She's, you know, kind of out of sight because she's at the house. But look at Jesus. He's got his back turned to the woman. This painter couldn't stand to leave it that way. 
he had to add a whole panel on the bottom. You see the bottom panel? He had to, that's the middle of the story. He had to correct it and have the woman and Jesus facing each other. The children didn't suffer because of this encounter. Immediately after a passage, Matthew makes it a point to report that Jesus went back to Galilee, that's inside Israel's borders, and great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the maimed, the blind, the mute, and many others. They put them at Jesus' feet, and he cured them so that the crowd was amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the maimed whole, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. Jesus went right back to his Jewish mission. We should have known that Jesus was not anti-foreigner, as many of his compatriots were. In his protracted conflict with the religious rulers, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, or when he just needed a break from the crowds, Jesus would go into foreign territory. He would go on the move. If he was in Gentile territory, he was pretty sure the Pharisees and the Sadducees would not follow him because they didn't want to be stained by contact with these people. But Jesus did many times. In this instance, he went north. You see Tyre? He went north um, outside of Israel's boundaries. Another time he went to Samaria. You see how Samaria is kind of in the middle there? Jews went all the way around Samaria. They wouldn't go through it. Jesus went through it. He had that deep conversation with that Samaritan woman, remember, at the well? And, um, and she recognized after that the Messiah. Jesus commended the faith of a centurion, a foreign, a Roman oppressor citizen. And he said, and no one in Israel have I found such faith. Of the ten lepers that he healed, one of them was a Samaritan, and that was the one who came back. And God, Jesus commended his faith. He came back to thank Jesus, and the others did not. He healed Gerardine demoniacs. Do you see that? Gerard, Gerard, whatever it's called, on the east to the east, he healed many people, many foreigners, including in the era of Decapolis. Those are the 10 cities, 10 uh, Roman cities from to the south and to the east of Israel. Jesus did present the good news of salvation to the Jews, but that good news could not just be contained. It squeezed out. It squeezed out and it became a foretaste of the salvation to come. And whenever it did, Gentiles recognized the Savior. In the case of this woman, we have some pretty good historical clues about her. The Clementine homilies, written in the first century, shortly after Jesus died and rose again, they named this Syrophoenician woman as Justa and her daughter as Bernice. Clement became a Jesus follower through the apostle Peter and was instructed by two of, P of Peter's disciples, Nicetus and Aquila, whom Clement describes as foster sons of Justa, the Syrophoenician woman. These two men had been educated from boyhood by the magician Simon Magus, and you Magnus, and you have to read the, in the book of Acts what happens in that encounter with Peter. But um, 
they, these foster sons of Justice, had been converted by Zacchaeus, the tax collector. We know him, don't we? So these, these two were instructing Clement in his growth of faith, and he just connects some of the dots for us. What did our super mom see when she looked at Jesus? Maybe she sees what all of us see when we come in desperate straits to Jesus, a fixer. But seeing him as just a fixer, or seeing her as just a persistent mom, isn't seeing them for who they really are. Each one of them is more than that, more deeper, much more complicated. Was the woman bothered by Jesus' refusals? Did she think, what is his deal? He can just wave a hand and end our suffering. Why is he not doing this for me? Hmm, that sounds like some of our prayers. Don't we also struggle when Jesus says no to us? Don't we struggle with his apparent reluctance? Why doesn't Jesus answer my prayer with a miracle? This woman, Justa, her gift to us is her humility because she said, even the dogs eat. When Jesus answered her sharply, she didn't get angry. I might have gotten a little angry. She didn't spit out curse words. Who are you, who are you calling a dog? She kept herself humble. Her gift to us is in her patience. She endured those reproaches from Jesus and kept waiting. Patience is something we really struggle with. Her gift to us is her prayer. Have mercy on me, Jesus. A prayer we can say any time. She gave us those words. Have mercy on me, Jesus. Her gift to us is her perseverance. She didn't stop asking until she received what she asked for. Jesus commended her because she wouldn't give up. So we can ask Jesus again, we can ask again, and then we can ask again, and then we can ask, and then we can ask, and then the next day we can ask. Some of our prayers are very long prayers. It's a lot of asking. Jesus does not mind. He commends perseverance, persistence. And her gift to us is her faith. It's a gift to us because, like with her, Jesus doesn't automatically answer yes to our prayers for instant fixing. It's, it's wonderful when he does. But he doesn't always do that. The suffering road is a very long road, and we don't know before this how long this mom and daughter suffered. But any suffering feels long, and sometimes it goes on for far too long. And what is required of us, same as is required of this woman, a faith that keeps coming back to Jesus. And I love that definition of faith, to keep coming back to Jesus. Because there is no one else. Because Jesus can help and often does help because healing lies with him, because in the end, he will give us a full and complete healing. If not in this life, one day, one glorious day, we will be made completely whole by Jesus. 
and no one else can give us this gift of life. A lot of our journey of faith on this earth is asking Jesus to show up in some kind of dramatic way. But Jesus is already present in the simple act of asking without giving up. Before he says yes, he is already present with us. Just a heard that Jesus was in the neighborhood, her family was in trouble, and she heard that Jesus was coming through town. There was something about the name Jesus. There was something about the name Jesus that brought her to her feet and compelled her to go out searching for him, that caused her to shout out to him, look at me with mercy, please, son of David. Something about the name Jesus told her to keep asking and keep asking. Something about the name Jesus made her kneel at his feet and ask for crumbs. Don't you know, Jesus, that a crumb from your hand is good enough for me. That's all I'm asking for today. Is something about the name Jesus tugging at your heart this morning? Do you have a big ask for him? Some of us do. Will you kneel before him in prayer and reach out to him who is right here, present to you? Because Jesus is here. I'm going to ask you, if you can't, if your knees allow you to kneel for a moment of private asking Jesus, if you want to. Kneel where you are or just bow your head where you are. And whatever is pressing on your heart, Jesus' name calls us to himself. Let's have a moment for you to ask. Ask boldly, ask big. Something about the name Jesus. Dear Jesus, listen to our prayers. Lord, you draw us to yourself, for who else has the words of eternal life? Listen to our prayers. Listen to our big asks, our boldest prayers, Lord. Hear us, Lord. We are asking. We're coming to you. We're asking in faith. Hear us and answer us, O oh Lord Jesus. In your name we pray.